Well, if you have your Bible, I think we. I've just anything else I've forgotten to say. No, if you've got your Bible, let's get into our, our sermon. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, and if you want to, you could just finish early. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't happened before, so it's probably not going to happen today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter five, and uh, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one. I'm going to read from verse twenty-one to verse uh, thirty-three. And by way of context, we've been reading the book of Ephesians for weeks and weeks, right? How many people are enjoying it? Yeah, how many people have taken the opportunity to do some Bible study in Ephesians in your own time? All the diligent ones have been doing that. And, uh, and I pray that as, we, as we've been looking into this book, I pray you understand, uh, you, I pray that two things have happened. I pray that the reality of who Jesus is has become more and more real. And I pray that you've become more and more real. That even that, that the Word of God has settled in your heart and that you've settled into living a life that's real. I think m- most of the time when people say, let's keep it real, they're mainly saying they're just going to be lazy. Or they, uh, let's keep it real. I can't be bothered wearing pants today. Let's keep it real. Uh, yeah, or, or, they, or they say, I'm just keep it real. And what they're about to do is say something really rude, obnoxious, and offensive. I'm just keeping it real, you fat, you know. Uh, often real is, a, is, is not really real. It's just nonsense, right? Uh, how many of you know that reality TV is neither good reality or good TV, right? It's neither of those two things. And, and in terms of our Christianity, there's a constant temptation. I want to put it to you. It's just as real in your life as it was in anyone else's life. There's a constant temptation for us to become sort of fantasy Christians, where we're a Christian somewhere in our world, but really we're not a Christian where our feet hit the ground or, to, or where the rubber hits the road. We're not really a Christian. And if you think about the book of Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians instruction, it starts off with Ephesians chapter 1, just talks about this glorious plan of God that goes back from eternity past, that before He created the heavens and the world, He loved us and chose us to be blameless in His sight. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about God's grace and the reality of Jesus and the, the, the real reality that Jesus came, died in our place, was resurrected and ascended in the heavenly realms, right? That's an awesome passage of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3 is amazing. It talks about how that there's no divisions now between the, um, the Jews and the Gentiles. And we think that's great, don't we, because we're Christians? Right, and that means that because even though we're not the people of God uh, by blood, but we've been adopted into God's family as Christians, right? But the, uh, the wider expression is that actually the love of God shouldn't be restricted to those who are Christians. There's not barriers between Christians and non-Christians. When God looks at Wellington, He's not like, oh, there's Christians and non-Christians. He does do that. He does do the sheep and goats thing, right? You know that? You've heard the story of the sheep and the goats? Right, where God separates the sheep and the goats. It seems like an easy thing to do, right? But you try and do it for real with sheep, goats. They look a bit similar. He, Jesus does do that. It's in the book of Revelation he does that. It's called the judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ. He separates the sheep and the goats. Right now, Jesus is not in Wellington separating sheep and goats. Because it's not judgment day. How do I know that? I can't smell sulfur, right? Although, anyhow, I won't talk about that. The, um, the reality is judgment day does happen, right? But that's not my job. It's not your job. That's not now. It happens in the future when God rolls up the sky like a scroll. You'll, I'll tell you what. You'll know when it's about to happen, right? It's, it, he rolls up the sky like a scroll. Right? Jesus rides on a white horse in such a way, he rides in on a white horse in such a way that the whole world knows all at once. Right? 
at that point, you can get ready for the sheep and goats moment. But how many know Christians for 2,000 years have been waiting for the sheep and goats moment where we can sort out who's right and who's wrong, who's evil, who's not evil, uh, who's really a Christian, who's not really a Christian. Is Mitt Romney a Christian? Is he not really? It doesn't matter. Do you know what doesn't matter? When God sees people, do you know what he sees? People. He sees people that he loves. He sees people who have been, uh, who are hindered by sin, people who are deceived by Satan. Some of those people attend church and some of them don't. The reality is that all of us have got this responsibility to reach out, right, to extend the love of God. And God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, is not bounded by who's in and who's out. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 is about, right? On to Ephesians chapter 4 which is all about the power of the church and the gifts that work in the church and that God wants the, uh, the body of Christ to be effective and powerful, right? And there's other bits and pieces in there. Ephesians chapter 5 is amazing. talks about how we actually live our real life. Do we, do we live morally or immorally? Do we live worthy of the callings of Ephesians chapter 4 or not? And then Ephesians chapter 5, how many know Ephesians chapter 4 is where the rubber hits the road. It says, don't live deceived, right? Ephesians chapter 5, it gets super serious. Are you ready? It gets right into it. It says, Ephesians chapter 5, furthermore, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone say submit. Everyone say submit. Say like uh, like uh, like uh, like a WWE wrestler. That was awesome. That was Alice. That was awesome. Go, go one more time. Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, submit. It's one of those funny words. Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our motivation for submission is reverence for Christ. Right? But our action is to submit. Who do we submit to? One another, right? So I submit to you and you submit to me, right? Like, and it's, it's suddenly starting to feel kumbaya, right? Someone bust out a nylon string guitar, we can cross our legs. Uh, I can't actually cross my legs anymore. Uh, how many people literally can't actually do it anymore? Yeah, yeah, it's too painful. It's too painful. Mission trip to Fiji is a challenge, right? Uh, somewhere like that, or, or Tonga, where you get to sit on the floor at a school assembly. It's like, wow. Uh, anyhow, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we've got this motivation. I'm dwelling on this first because this is the first verse in the section, and it gives the context to the whole thing, right? Because we're about to talk about husbands and wives and wives submitting to husbands, but this is the first verse, and it says something quite different to wives submit to husbands. It says, submit to one another out of our reverence to Christ. So reverence is about worship, but it's also about reference. It's about because of who Christ is, we behave in a certain way. Because of the nature of Christ, out of our reverence for Christ, when we're in His presence, when we're aware of Him, it affects our behavior, right? People in New Zealand operate out of reverence for things. When the All Blacks walk through the airport, people's behavior changes out of reverence for the All Blacks. Out of reverence for Christ, because of who Christ is, because of where He is, because of His presence in our world, it shifts how we relate to one another. We're talking this morning about real relationship, and it doesn't get any realer than submit to one another. And it's because of the reality of Christ that we can do that, right? Are you ready for the next verse? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You wives will submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything, right? 
Verse 25, and you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the baptism of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church, and we are his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So the first verse in the section says, And furthermore, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The last verse says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Everyone say respect. Okay, there's two words that are used for what the wife needs to do in this whole dynamic. One of them is submit. And the other is respect. They're actually two different words. Have you noticed that one is submit? And the other one is respect, right? Uh, the, the reality is, though, that the confusion comes in this verse when it says wives must submit to the husbands as the church submits to Christ. So it's quite a strong, I mean, that's quite strong language, right? In modern society, it's the sort of language that uh, people don't like because of the connotation of the lack of rights that is involved in submission. If a wife was to submit to her husband in everything, uh, right, there's a lack of rights that's sort of implied by that, that the husband then makes the decision, the husband controls the money, the husband uh, uh, is dominant in certain areas of life, the husband dominates the wife's thinking or dominates it. I, I want to suggest to you that that's not what Paul's saying at all. The most important word for us to understand in this passage is submit. Because if the wife's asked to submit to the husband, not asked, is instructed to submit to the husband and everything. It's the most important word for us to understand is what does this word submit mean? What's Paul getting at? Right? That's the, the reason it's very important for us to understand is because the first verse that I read says this, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. The last verse breaks it down, husbands love your wives, Wives, respect your husbands. I want to suggest to you that those are the two operative sides of this. Those are the two statements that Paul is making. And in the middle, Paul is opening up what submission looks like. He's discussing how does it actually work in human relationship. And how is this example of, how does this example that Christ has, how does that work inside human relationships, right? So if you think about it, submission's a really important word, right? What does it mean? Just do what you're told? That's sort of, it sort of sounds like that, doesn't it? Do what you're told. Submit. Uh, the important thing you got to understand about submission, the, the two, when, when you think negatively about submission, the reason you think negatively about it is because you automatically think of a forced submission. So, you know, so that uh, uh, a superior military invades a nation and the, the inferior military submits. But there's no connotation in this passage of any force. 
I understand that from the wife-husband thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. So it doesn't at any point say, husbands, invade your wife's territory, invade your wife's rights, invade your wife's control over the money, invade your wife's dream, take over the planning for the whole family, and then wives just put up with your husband being a jerk. Now that's what it's been used to say. That's, the, that's actually the straw man that got set up. That's the straw man that says Christians don't understand really how, how, um, how, how, how life should work. Look at this stupid passage from Paul. That's the straw man. It's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying husbands, in, in nowhere is the husband's job to force himself, force his ideas, force his vision, force his dream, force his needs upon the wife, right? Now, it would be a terrible word if it said wives submit to your husbands in a forced sort of a way. That would be terrible, right? But think about the word submission. It says this, submission is the act of accepting or yielding to the superior force or the will of another. There's no, to me, there's no negative connotation for me to submit myself to you. I'm prepared to submit myself to all of you in different areas. So, for instance, when I was talking to Sarah August about how do you reach out on campus, and she said to me, what do I do? And I said to her, what do you do? Because I'm prepared as the senior pastor of the church to submit myself to the second-year university student about how do we reach on campus. Do you know why? Because it's a long time since I was a second-year university student on campus. And I studied at a Christian private training establishment with about 15 students. It's a little bit different to Victoria University. Right? So who's the superior force in reaching out on campus? Well, there's, only, there's not many university students in my e-group, but there's a lot in Sarah's e-group. Well, so Sarah's the superior force. There's nothing negative about submitting yourself to the superior force. When the All Blacks are deciding, when Kieran Reid, the captain, is deciding whether to take the penalty or not, he asks the kicker, can you kick it or not? Why? Because the kicker is the superior force. He knows whether he can kick the goal or not. The, the captain can't. Do you know, the captain has every right to decide how we're going to do it. When it comes to reaching out on campus and Quippers Church and how we spend the money and how we reach out, I have every right to say to Sarah, I want you to, to run a small coffee shop called the Hallelujah Cafe on campus. Because in the 1970s, that's how my uncle did it, right? I've got the right to say that, but it's not submission. Submission says, hey, where's the superior force? Come on, rewind. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gifts. Everyone's got a gift that Jesus has given you. And where I'm prepared to say as a church, we've got to submit ourselves to one another. Who's got the strength in this area? Who's got the strength in that area? When it comes to the sound system here, I don't make decisions. I ring up Duncan, and I say, well, what do we need? How does it work? Why? Why? Because Duncan actually is the superior force. That's quite a nice thought. It's the superior force in sound systems, right? Now, those are two simple examples of how we operate in church, but what does that look like in marriage? Who's the superior force? Come on, you, the first thing is to, you're called as a husband and a wife to submit yourselves to one another. Now, every successful marriage, if you break it down, someone's the superior force in some things, and the other is the inferior force in other things, right? I am the superior force in talking, right? 
That's not necessarily the alpha one. You heard from Christy already that she doesn't say everything she thinks. To me, that's amazing. I don't know, how, how do you do that? How do, how do you think of anything without saying it? I can't. My, if my mouth is not moving, understand that my brain is not working. If my, mouth, if my mouth is closed, my brain is laying out on a sun lounger. Or it's just humming. When people say to me, what are you thinking? I say, what did I say? Right? Because we've got these different gifts. We learned it in Ephesians chapter 4. And now Paul's just making it real. Oh, gifts, talents. We want to get behind gifts and talents. No, come on, let's make it real. Let's submit ourselves to one another. Let's submit ourselves. What's the strengths that we have in the church? Because we're not going to win the whole city if we do it Jordan's way. Right? Just we won't because I'm not the superior force in everything. I'm literally only the superior force in talking. Right? In every other sense, we've got the gifts and talents here to be the army God's called us to be, the family God's called us to be, but we can't express it fully as a church. We know that unless we all contribute out of the gift that God's got. That's why we always say, come on, you've got to join an e-group. Come on, you've got to join an e-team. It's not how we organize church. It's how we understand the Bible. We, don't, we do organize church around e-groups, which are small groups that meet together pastorally and connection-wise, and e-teams are the teams that make things happen. That's how we organize the functions of our church in those two sort of groups. But it's because we believe everyone needs to learn to function. Everyone needs to bring their gift. Why? So that you can grow and develop. But also, there's an area in life where you are the superior force in our church, and we need you to grow in your expression of it so we can become everything God's called us to be, right? So think about that, husbands and wives. Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord, in reverence for Christ. Husbands and wives, what does that actually look like? Is that, is that really the attitude your Christianity takes in your marriage? Or do you assert yourself? You'll notice in this passage, no one gets to assert themselves. It does say the husband is the head just as Christ is the head of the church. But it doesn't say the husband needs to assert himself as the head of the church, just as Christ doesn't assert himself as the head of the church. Did Jesus come in here today and tell you all to lift your hands? Put your hands in the air! No, because he's not a robber God, right? He's not, he's not, that's not who he is. It's out of our reverence for Christ we submit. Do you get the picture here? This is quite a different passage than the straw man that, that, that a feminist might set up, an, anti, an anti-Christian who might set up and say, Christians, look, you don't understand anything, right? The straw man says, oh, husbands just dominate wives. Now, the reason that's easy to do is because there has been, a, a, there is a shape in church that is a distortion of this where it's a husband being the head of the family, but not in reverence to Christ. They're being the husband, they're being the head of the family in reverence to themselves, which is just stand, stock standard idolatry, how we mostly live, where we're focused on ourselves and focus on our own needs, right? Should we go on with our definition of submission? That's where we are at the moment. Our definition of submission started with this, the act of accepting or yielding to the superior force or the will of another. Don't, don't, I, like, I think that's positive. I think if I accept the will of another, I'm still empowered. If I yield, like if you and I are both driving for the same car park in Karori Mall and I yield, do I then drive away and, and say, I can't believe they stole that park off me. 
my life is so small. I'm so trapped in this place. I've got to get out. Well, if I do, I'm mental, right? And maybe I am, but, the, but that's not the point. The reality is that when you yield, who's empowered? You are. When I yield, when I yield, when I accept another's will, when I accept when you know, I'm not suggesting that I've, yeah, this is not a sermon about boundaries. When, do that in your own head, right? You still have to manage your own life, right? But when we yield to someone else's strength, when we yield to someone else's good idea, when we yield to someone else's will, we are empowered in that process. Do you like it? There's a mutuality of it, right? What about this one? Submission is presenting a proposal, an application or some other document for the consideration or for judgment. So when, you submit, when we submit ourselves to one another, what do we do? We present, present proposals. Like, we, like 18 months ago, I'm like, let's, let's stop doing church really easily in Web Street. Let's do it really hard at Wellington High. There's a car park, you know, and it'll be fun. No, weather's nice at 6 a.m. Do you know, we've, that's a proposal, right, that we submit. And, and people are like, oh, well, do we accept it or do we not? Right? And we, it was a serious debate amongst the leadership team because no one was stupid. Everyone knew that this is going to be hard work, right? The, the stuff, that the stage and everything didn't appear here magically overnight. Yeah. But what, we, what would it look like if you had to submit yourself? One thing to submit an idea. What about submitting yourself for consideration? Oh, that's, that's a bit full on, isn't it? What about this? Submit yourself for consideration or judgment. That's why we say you've got to join an e-group. And then, when they, oh, well, how does e-group work? Well, they'll start asking questions. And you'll be chatting away, you'll be chatting away. And the questions will trickily, very trickily, will get serious suddenly. And you'll find yourself admitting things. <laughs> Have you ever been in an e-group trying to get the words back? I can't believe I've just told everyone I have terrible flatulence. They already knew. They already knew, right? How many people have you ever found yourself in that space? You actually find yourself confessing sin. You know, mostly like this. You know, I have a friend who uh, has a problem, you know. But when you do that, you submit yourself for consideration and judgment. That's why one of the reasons you come away from e-group encouraged is because you presented yourself. And no one ran screaming from the room. Ah. Everyone thought, no, you're still someone I'm prepared to have a cup of tea with. Even though we talked about the pressure you're under and the difficulty in your workplace, and we prayed together. Why? Because you submitted yourself to one another for consideration and for judgment. And everyone judged you worthy of God's love. They prayed and then away you went with an endorsement of real community. Again, it's real. Right? We, we got into groups, and, and Dougal got us into groups in the prayer meeting. He said, just pray for each other. Just share a need and pray. It was like pulling teeth, getting needs out. But then we got that once someone did it, and then the next person comes up with an idea. Oh, actually, I do need God's help. I do need people to pray for me. Why? Because we're not used to what? Submitting ourselves. Well, this is where I am. This is my current challenge. How, how many people know what your biggest struggle is right now? Because that's the number of people you're actually submitted to. 
I'm not suggesting for a moment that everyone should know, right? But I'm suggesting that the people that you submit to can empower you if they have a superior force that can lift you, can bring strength to you. Amen? Everyone say submission. It's funny, I was talking to, um, I was talking to someone uh, this week, and I, we were talking about um, this, it's a, a younger youth pastor in our movement of churches, and uh, we were chatting away, and, and uh, he was asking questions about this, asking questions about that, and, and I asked this question, I said, oh, what's your dream? And they said, oh, you know, well, you didn't know what to say, and like that, and I said, and they said, I don't know, you know, it sounds silly. I said, oh, it doesn't matter if it's silly, you know, the sillier the better, you know, you talk, remember who you're talking to here. Um, and uh, I said, oh, you know, really, my dream is to do something like what Reggie Dabbs does, to travel, to speak to young people, to see them like their life transform, to use the testimony of what God's done in my life to bless other people, right? How I mean, that's a good dream, right? You know, but it's a bit hard to say it, though, isn't it? Hard to put it out there, hard to submit it for judgment, right? And we were talking about what decisions should he make. Should he carry on with the contract he's got now? Should he, they were talking about maybe shifting him to Wellington from where he is and um, working in the Ministry of Social Development. I was like, well, I've got a lot of friends there. Um, you know, and uh, we're talking about talking and, and But I said, what's your dream? And I said, well, none of those things you said is pursuing that dream. So we talked about what would pursuing that dream look like. And then I said, well, what would stop you from pursuing the dream? He goes, oh, the girlfriend. I said, well, hold on, hold on, let's reverse. You know, what's the plan, you know? And, and it's like, they're, oh, they're going to get married, you know. They're, they're, they're serious, right? And I said, well, it's sort of irrelevant what your dream is. The, the my dream is not going to, that's not going to matter. <laughs> if, 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 if her dream isn't somehow aligned with this, then there's no point pursuing it and her, right? Because you and it was, I could see revelation happening in the eyes of this young person. Oh, it's not just about me. <laughs> it's not just about what I'm called to. No, no, well, come on, if you're called to walk together, come on, what are you called to? What's your dream together? And that's what submission to one another looked like. Uh, you know, at First Samuel chapter 14, verse 13, Sam preached this passage last um, at Man Up. And it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. How many people know the story? And Jonathan's like, we should attack these Philistines, these evil Philistines that are holding us down. Have no, that's a pretty, it's pretty bold. It's just two of them, and they're going to attack an outpost of Philistines and this sort of provoke war. And the two of them thought they could do this. And and Jonathan has the idea, and then I, I love it. Jonathan has this idea. It's a crazy idea. It's a, a, a terrible idea, dangerous. And the armor bearer just says this. Do whatever's in your heart. I'm with you all the way. Who was in submission to who? Ordinarily, in a, if we have a one-dimensional view of submission, the armor bearer is just doing what he's told. But if you look at the actual conversation, Jonathan submits the plan. Hey, this is what's in my heart to do. Submission. And the armor bearer says, yeah, whatever's in your heart, do it. I'm with you all the way. I reckon that's a cool picture of how a marriage could work. Someone's like, hey, we should do X, Y, or Z. And the other person says, yeah, let's do that. Let's do the, what's in your heart. Now, whose dream was it? Sort of everyone's dream once there's that agreement together to pursue it. Amen? Okay, so everyone say submission. That's the important word for us. That's important word number one. Uh, important word number two is um, this word called love. Everyone say love. It's actually the biggest word in the passage. 
uh, is this word love. And it says uh, in great detail, it talks about the husband's role. It says, husband should love your, must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church um, and giving up his life for her. Important thing to remember that often we forget when we read the Bible is that the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit when he's writing these books. But they weren't, he wasn't, when Paul was writing, he wasn't writing to the whole world through all history. He, he, in his mind, as the Holy Spirit spoke to him, he's writing to a specific group of people. In this case, the Ephesians. Everyone say Ephesians. And the city he's writing to is a city called Ephesus, uh, which is uh, in Turkey now. And it was a pretty important part of the ancient world, uh, really strongly influenced by Greek. Uh, culture, strongly influenced by, uh, obviously, the Roman domination of that Greek culture. Um, and in Ephesus, uh, the church was massive. The church grew phenomenally. Paul planted the church. Timothy led the church in Ephesus for a long time. Uh, they reckon there was a, it's probably a church of about 40,000 people uh, in Ephesus. a really big church. Um, and the Ephesian church had, was having a growing impact on the culture around them. When Paul writes to them and he says, uh, wives, respect your husbands, wives, submit to your husbands and everything as the church submits to Christ. And he says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I want you to understand, Paul's speaking at something. He's, <laughs> you can sort of think he's sort of speaking um, mysteriously and he does get mysterious at the end. But when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, he's not, it's not like, um, it's not poetry. You know, that's sort of out here, it's definitely prose. Paul's thinking of actual husbands in an actual church, and he's saying to them, you need to love your wife the same way Christ loved the church. Why is he saying that? He's not saying it because that's what they're already doing. He's saying it because he's calling them to something, isn't he? You don't, you don't spend a lot of time telling your kids to do the things that they're already doing, right? You do spend a lot of time telling the kids the same thing over and over again. But what Paul's saying to the Ephesian church, he's speaking into the culture because they had a culture in Ephesus where wives were dominated by husbands rather than loved by husbands. So often we think of this passage that, that it, it, it's often referred to as a passage mostly talking about wives submit to husbands, right? But most of the passage is about the role of the husband needing to change. The husband's role needs to change, where the husband needs to now submit to the wife. Please understand, when Paul starts describing about love here, he's, he's still talking about the same, the first verse. Submit yourselves to one another as Christ loved the church. Then he says, wives, submit to your husbands as the head of the church, right? The head of the family like Christ is the head of the church. Then he says, husbands, love your wives. But he's still talking about our main topic this morning. He's still talking about submission. Right? So he, sometimes we read it like this. Submit yourselves to one another. Yes, yeah, so wives submit to husbands. And husbands, you love your wives. Even though you're the boss and you don't have to submit to everyone, anyone. Even though you're fully in charge. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, come on, submit yourselves to one another. And in a marriage, this is how it looks. Wife submit to your husband. Husband love your wife. Later on in the passage, he changes the word from submit to respect. 
It's interesting that at the end of the passage, he's gone from submit to respect. What does this word love mean, though? Everyone say love. We all know this. You know that the Bible's got more than one word for love. The Greek language has got more than one word for love. Uh, eros, which is romantic love. Uh, philio, which is like the mateship, friendship love. Uh, serge, which is like community, family. The, hey, we're all buddy. We're like a whole family. We're committed to each other, right? Uh, and the other one is agape. Everyone say agape. Oh, uh, one of our friends used to say agape, uh, which I think is, I don't know how you say it, but I like that one better. Anyway, agape is how it's more, more regularly pronounced. I was reading in the commentaries uh, preparing for this. The, the, the Greek word agape is invented by the New Testament. The Greek word agape isn't a Greek word that, lots of other words, so apostle is one they've just taken out of the culture, thrown in. Most of the Bible words are cultural words that are brought into the Bible. Agape appears about four times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But in reality, it doesn't appear much in Greek literature. It's in the New Testament. This idea of agape love, the word agape was used to describe the love that Christ had or the love that God had. God, God agape the world. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that Jesus was so loved the world. He was moved with the compassion. He had a love for people that affected how He lived on earth. He had a love for people that drove Him, that enabled Him, that focused Him. That for the joy that was set before in the Bible says He endured the cross, laying aside its shame, taking on all of our sin so that we could be set free, right? That's the love He had for us. That's agape. It's an unconditional, eternal love. It's never used to refer to human relationships, except in this passage where it's talking about this is how a husband should love his wife. It doesn't say anywhere for it doesn't say for children to agape their parents. It doesn't say uh, congregation members should agape their pastor. It says husbands love your wife. You've got to understand the revolution that Paul was laying down in those words. It wasn't how the Ephesian culture, so all these people coming into church that he's discipling with this letter, it wasn't how they operated their marriages. They didn't submit to one another. Women were non-voting, non-property-owning, non-rights-holding members of society. When Paul writes this passage, it's not the suppression of women that's driving him. It's the liberalization of the roles of marriage, uh, husband and wife that is driving him. We know that in Paul's writings previously, he said, In Christ there's now neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, nor male or female. He's not suggesting for a moment that everyone suddenly changes to some sort of androgynous form. <laughs> Thanks, James. What he's saying is these dividing ideas, slave and free. I can't talk to you. I'm a free person. I don't talk to slaves. Jews and Greeks. I'm a clean person. I don't talk to unclean. Male and female. I'm a. I'm a. I'm in a powerful societal role. You're in a powerless societal role. I don't. There's no connection. He's breaking down those barriers, and in this passage, he does it even more by saying the person in the power position. Why is the man in the power position in Ephesians? Because that's what society had done. The man owned all the property. The man had the voting rights. The man was the head. Right. And then he says, this is how you express true leadership, true headship. You 
give up yourself for your wife like Christ gives up the church. The Ephesian man who's reading, hearing this for the first time is in full and complete power over his wife. And he is being instructed to relinquish that power. He's being instructed to submit his power. And instead of being in power over his wife, to agape, an eternal, self-sacrificial, unbreakable, undentable love your wife as Christ loved the church. I don't know if you get it. It's different to how I grew up understanding this passage. 19 years married helps as well. It's a lot of instruction I've received from my wife about how marriage is really going to work. This is a, this is a, I'm preaching this message. I'm, I'm aware of the fact that not everybody here is married. But I think marriage is an important institution whether you're married or not. Why is it important? Because it speaks to us so powerfully of Christ in the church, of Christ's love. I don't know if you had a dad uh, like my dad. My dad changes the cars around in our family. We own all, we own all these cars. You know, everyone has a car, but we... The ownership rights have become blurred in recent years. And um, at the moment, I'm driving my dad's two-year-old Citroen. It's a really nice car. Goes fast. Nice and shiny. He's driving the church van. Why is he driving the church van? Well, because there was this shift around. My brother needed another seven-seater, and, and we had that Volvo that was his as well anyway. And, uh, and my brother said, so my brother got our old Isuzu, remember that? And that's all been painted up so that it looks good and got new wheels that Dad paid for, right? Whenever Dad does a deal, he comes out badly. He did a deal with us with the houses and ruddy, ruddy, run. And he's, you know, so we're like, uh, we sent $20,000 back from the UK or 10000 yeah, $30,000 it was, 10,000 pounds we sent back from the UK. We were over there working. And by the time we got to New Zealand, somehow it turned into about $95,000. Right? And we constantly, he's constantly doing deals with, why? Because he, he's got this love for his children. He has an agape love for people, actually, my dad, where he constantly looks at ways where he can use his power to empower. It's a submission where he presents himself, where he releases his strength to it. Now, only you know whether you love like that. I'm speaking to everyone in the room now because that's our example of love is love is patient, love is kind, keeps no records of wrong, doesn't seek its own interests. Only you know whether you love with an agape love because it's not judged, it's actually not judged externally. It's the, it's a, it is this internal thing because you can you can do self-sacrifice without it being agape. Just down the track, we'll hear about it. And I always, if, as soon as you say, but I always, and I did, and, and I've got, as soon as you have a record, it's not love. Yeah, it was self-sacrificing for you to do the dishes last Thursday. Good on you. You did the dishes last Thursday. Good on you. But as soon as you remember that you did the dishes last Thursday and she hasn't done the dishes since last Wednesday, as soon as you remember, it's not, there's, there's a massive love problem. There's love missing. Self-sacrificing love, love, this agape thing. It's not just I sacrifice so that I get what I want. It's a sacrifice so that you become who you're called to be. 
That's what the Ephesian men were instructed to do by the Apostle Paul, to, to give up their rights so that their wives would become everything God had called them to be. And that's really, I love what Paul says in the middle of it. He's talking about husbands and wives, right? In the middle of his, his instructions around marriage, he just breaks out into this. That's why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined with his wife, and the two become one thing. And he says, this is a great mystery, but, I'm, but it's an amazing illustration of Christ and the church. And suddenly he was, he's trying to give us just some basic instructions about marriage, but he gets dragged into the gospel. And that it, the reality that, that Christ wants to connect with us in a covenant relationship that's unbreakable and unchangeable. I don't know about you, but the longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize that it's based, my ability to follow Jesus, my relationship with Him is based on His grace, not my faithfulness. My faith is only powerful when it's my faith is based in His faithfulness. My faith doesn't produce anything. My faith in His faithfulness produces anything. You might have a Toyota Corolla. It's a faithful car, right? And and you might trust your car to keep going for another 300,000 kilometers. Your faith in that car is not going to make it run faster, better, longer. But the faithfulness of the car is what's going to determine how long it runs for. So often we think we have to drum up. I love what Chrissy said before. We have to Oh, come on, it's back in church. So we have to put on our joyful faces. Or, or, or we have to put on our religious face. Or we, or we have to put on our, oh, well, I'm supposed to be following Jesus now, so I have to put on X, Y, or Z. But actually, Christianity is based on the fact that, that we can't earn God's favor in and of ourselves. But Jesus Christ lived a life that fulfilled the law so that if we trust in Him, the Bible says that we're not put to shame. We don't miss out. We don't, we're not excluded from God's love when we rely upon Him. Maybe when we close our eyes, bow our heads, we're going to pray uh, just before we close the service. Perhaps you're here and, and maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as, your, as a Savior. Or, or maybe you've made the decision in the past, but for whatever reason, through your behavior or your attitude or uh, maybe you've even harbored hurts towards God or towards circumstances. And you find yourself a long way away from God. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity to repent. It's a decision where we turn away from living life trusting in ourselves and we choose again to trust in Jesus. Or we choose for the first time to trust Jesus for our salvation, to trust Him to set us free. If you're here and you want to make that decision this morning, how we'll do in a minute, I'll ask you to lift your hand and then when people have had a chance to respond, you can put your hands back down and then we're going to pray together. And the Bible says that as you pray and as you declare Jesus, that you're set free, that He sets us free, that we receive His salvation into our world. So right now, while everyone's got their heads bowed and they've got their eyes closed, wherever you're sitting, if that's you, you want to make a decision this morning to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, either for the first time or as a recommitment, why don't you shoot your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I want to respond to Jesus this morning. I know that I need His help in my life. I know that I need Him working in my world. If that's you, shoot your hand up. Once I've seen your hand, you can pop it back down, and then we'll pray. Awesome. Thank you on my left. That's an awesome decision. How many other people are making that decision this morning? If you just shoot your hand up, once I've seen it, you can put it back down. 
and then we're going to pray. I just want to give everyone a chance to respond. And it's a big decision. And if you definitely something you should talk about, think about, ask people about. But also sometimes you just have to make a decision and say, yeah, I'm actually going to pursue you, Jesus. Awesome. Hey, could we stand and pray, church? Is that all right? I'm excited that people are responding to Jesus. And uh, we're, we're all going to pray this prayer together. For, for all of us, it's a sincere prayer. Um, and the, for the people who lifted their hand, you just need to pray this prayer. Pray along with us. You don't need to be embarrassed. That's why we're praying together. And, uh, and you, I believe that God's going to impact your world, transform your life uh, from this day onward. So let's pray. Uh, here we go. I'll pray a line, and then you shout it out. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you loved me, and you gave yourself for me. You paid the penalty for my sin. Today, I choose to acknowledge you. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm choosing to make you the Lord of my life. From today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? Super good. Um, Why don't you just lift your hands, close your eyes. I, I just really believe the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. Where, where, in your, where in your world do you struggle to submit? You don't have to be, you don't have to be married to have real trouble submitting. Where, do you, where in your world do you have trouble just yielding? Just yielding to other people's strengths, yielding to other people's space. I wonder why it's hard. For me, it's hard because I carry inside of me like everyone else does. A basic insecurity that says if I give someone else space, I lose my space. But the nature is that when we give somebody else space, we create more space. Holy Spirit, right across this place, I pray revelation, Lord God, you'd touch our hearts. Lord, as we open our hands, we open our hearts to you, Lord God, we pray you'd speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for your scripture, but Lord, thank you, Jesus, it's you, you're our teacher, Holy Spirit, that you're our comforter, you're our guide. Lord, bring revelation to our hearts, oh God, that we go from this place better able to express who you are, Lord God, better able to reveal you, Lord God, in our, amongst our friends, amongst our families, Lord God, those who need you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know, I just think, When you read the Bible, when you read the Bible like it's for someone else, you're, what you do when you do that, so you read that, you think, yeah, I'm thinking of so-and-so, he needs to submit to her, he needs to love his wife, what a loser. Uh, and I'm, th- you know, I'm thinking of my husband, he needs to love me, what a loser. Uh, <clears throat> when you read submit to one another, you think, oh, yeah, that's fine for the super Christians or the weirdo Christians. When, when you do that, what you do is you're judging the whole world wrong and you're self-right. It's self-righteous. I think it's our most, it's our most common expression of self-righteousness. Is when you hear the Word of God and you immediately think of other people who are in the wrong. I've taken the opportunity over the last couple of years, I read it in a book about this idea. I've taken the opportunity to read the Bible as the bad guy. So rather than being King David all the time, I'm King Saul when I read about that story. Cain and Abel, 
Well, I'm able. I always bring a good sacrifice, and there's evil people like Cain who stab me in the back. Now, actually, no help. You get nothing out of that scripture if you think like that. But if you think like, oh, no, I'm the person who's often judging, well, why doesn't God love me? Because I'm doing my best, but I'm not really. That's more who I am. And then it instructs me. And with this, with this idea around submission, I wonder if you could go away with this thought. I am no good at submitting because I'm insecure and proud. I wonder what, if you went like that and said, God, I'm no good at submitting. I'm insecure and proud. I wonder if God could help you then. I wonder how big your life might become. And if you went from here thinking, I don't, well, good message. I wonder how much help it will be. Probably none. Amen. There's an encouraging thought for the end of the sermon. Uh, <laughs> very, very cool. Hey, we're back again here tonight at 4 p.m. And uh, it's going to be absolutely awesome. We're going to be preaching about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Um, rather than being drunk with wine. So if you want to get good and drunk, do it at lunchtime. And then we'll preach about the Holy Spirit after that. Is that all right? Awesome. There's morning tea in the foyer. And uh, also, we've got the amazing Tim Maddox going to be sharing around communion. How many of you know Tim Maddox is amazing? I think Quimper's Church, Christ Church, has been a, such a blessing to us. We've got the amazing Leah Petru, uh, Tim Maddox, uh, other imports as well over the years from Christ Church. Tina and Nigel are from Quimper's Church and Christ Church. And so, yeah, yeah. So Tim's going to be sharing around communion today, which is going to be great. Awesome. Very, very good. Uh, we'll see you in the foyer for morning tea. And there's no massive rush for pack out. So stay, enjoy morning tea. We've got a whole hour now before we have to, before the, um, well, it's an hour and a half till the movie starts. So, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Go, go, go. Enjoy.